Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Psychologists have begun to realize that there are a lot of people struggling in life, maybe even choosing to end their lives, worried that they are missing out on something. There's something called FOMO. Do you have FOMO? FOMO is fear of missing out, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. And it's a condition, it's a way of feeling and thinking where you just sense that something's missing, that you want it, you want to get it. Uh, Some folks have been talking about that there are a lot of investors who are worried that they're going to miss out on the growth of the stock market. They're fearing that they're going to miss out, so they want to make an investment quickly, even though it might be a little too soon or too late to do that. There are kids in school who are afraid of missing out because they don't have the right friends or maybe they don't have the right courses. Parents, we've heard all about that a lot recently in the news. Parents fear that their children are going to miss out, so they pay a bribe to get them into a good school, a great university or something like that. Maybe you have that at work. Your boss says, if you do this assignment, I can guarantee a promotion for you. You fear missing out, so you go ahead and take that promotion, even though that assignment, even though it's taxing on your family and taxing on your health and time, you just don't want to miss out. You can react to that. There are some folks that react to FOMO. They talk about JOMO, joy of missing out. Because you know what? We're making a choice. We're going to accept our limitations. And it's okay if we miss out because we're going to find joy in that. But I just kind of want to push back a little bit on all this and say that that whole idea of the fear of missing out, I actually think it's something from God. I think God hardwired us that way. I think when he created you and he created me, he gave us a sense that there's something more to this life than what I've got. There's something more beyond me and who I am and what I can do. And I want that. I'm looking for that. And I fear missing out if I don't get that. And the problem is, is that we try to plug all these things into that hole, that void or that pit in our soul that we want filled up. And so we stuff all this kind of, all these things in there. Maybe we think if I just were smarter, understood more things, had stuff figured out, we'll go and we stuff education in there. Or if I just, if I just could feel better, if I could just get rid of this pain. So we stuff some pleasure in there to try to numb us to the the pain or emptiness that we feel. Others say, well, you know what? I feel totally unsafe. I'm vulnerable. I'm at risk. I've just got to get all the security I can. And so we do. We make all these provisions, all this insurance, all these things. Maybe we get a gun. Maybe we do all kinds of stuff. And we just kind of put this stuff in there because now that hole's filled up because I'm secure. I feel rejected. I feel lonely. So we go get relationships. We pursue men or women, and we say that they'll fill us up. Others of us try religion. If I just prayed, if I fasted, if I gave, if I believed the right thing, if I was part of the right group, then I would be able. I truly would have my life filled up, and I would not miss out. God wants you and I to know 
that he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to miss out. But what he wants you to understand is that what you fear missing out on is ultimately him. He wants you to find your satisfaction and your joy and your completeness in a relationship with him. You don't have to fear missing out if you have Almighty God as your life. If you trust in him and rely on him, then everything that you're afraid of missing will be filled up full in your life as well. The reason we're talking about FOMO today is because we're starting a series of messages about God's love. And we just are looking at scriptures. We kind of get near Easter time and Good Friday, and we think about what God has done to provide salvation for us through the death and life, life and death of Christ, all these events that we celebrate about Jesus' life and death. As we're focusing on that, we're seeing in a very vivid, powerful way his love for us. And we want to talk about the significance of that love as well. You know, the, one of the earliest songs I remember learning when I went to Sunday school at Tacoma, uh, at Grace United Methodist Church, Tacoma Park, Maryland, back in the, I think it was the 1960s, something like that. I remember learning, uh, do you know this song? Let's see if I can remember the words. Jesus loves me, this I know for the... Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Okay, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. It's one of the earliest songs that you learn in Sunday school, at least we have in the past. It's one of the earliest things that we learn and discover is that God made you and he loves you and he made you very special and he loves you very much. I think some talking vegetables said stuff like that one time in a cartoon. But there's this thing in our life, we long to know that, we yearn for that, that God truly loves me, and we want to explore it. Now, you might be saying, okay, that sounds like Christianity 101 beginner's class. I think I'm a little more sophisticated than talking about the love of God. And I want to say to you that if you believe that, that's a bunch of hooey. The truth of the matter is, is that we need to go back to this concept, this idea, this truth. It's the foundation of our faith that God truly loves you, that he's already loved you, that he cares about you deeply no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. He doesn't want you to miss out. He loves you too much. And he wants you to feel welcomed and included in his love. So what we're going to do, Pastor Josh and I, our assistant pastor here at the church, we're going to be taking the next several weeks through Easter and into the very first Sunday in May, and we're going to be looking at five different passages in the New Testament that are the writings of the earliest followers of Jesus, people who experienced God's love in Jesus Christ and the difference that it made in their lives, how it changed their lives. And we're going to talk about how that love that God has for you can change your life and how it can change my life as well. So I want to invite you now to turn to probably the most famous Bible verse of all time. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16. Now you might be thinking, eh, I've heard John 3, 16 before. Who is this John guy? I see those football players, they have the eye black on, they, it says John 3, then there's like a dot, dot, colon thing, and then 16. What, what is that, a street address? What is that, Is social security number? Who is John? And I'd like to show you who John is today, John 3, 16. I'd like to show you this verse and remind you of it. I know some of you just right away checked out. I've heard this verse before, we've talked about it, in fact, we talked about it last fall. 
And I admit that right up front here. But we need to go back to it because what this verse shows us and the verses before it and the verses after it is that God loves you and his love is so great for you that it welcomes and includes everybody. God welcomes everybody. His love includes everyone that's willing to trust in him. And you don't have to fear missing out if there's a God who loves you and wants to include you in his life as well. So on page 888, if you'd like to use one of the Bibles from the chair in front of you, uh, somebody jokingly said the other day, you know, what is that thing you're carrying, Pastor? It's a book. How come you don't have it on your tablet? And how come you're not using it on your phone? I can do that, but I don't need any batteries. I just want to say that, okay? I just want to let you know that as well. All right. <clears throat> John 3.16 Page 888. Would you read this with me, please? Let's read this together. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Some of you could say it without even reading it. You just knew it. You had memorized it. You've heard it so many times before. This is so familiar. This is maybe one of the first verses that you learned, first sentences you memorized from the Bible. I have no doubt about that. But in this statement, we see that God loves the world. Who, who's included in the world? <laughs> that's a dumb question. Everybody, right? Everybody that's ever been. Everybody that lives anywhere. Anybody here on earth, God loves all the people of this world. Whatever their color, whatever their racial background, whatever their heritage or ethnicity, their language, their gender, it doesn't matter how they identify themselves. It doesn't matter. God loves everybody. He welcomes everybody. And what is he welcoming them to? It says in this verse that he loves them so much that he wants them to have eternal life. This is what God is inviting you and I to. This is what he's welcoming us to, that we would experience eternal life with him. And when you and I think about eternal life, we tend to focus on, man, that sounds like a long time, eternal life. I remember once a young person in the church came up to me and he says, that sounds awful boring. I don't know that I could stand living that long. In fact, I'm scared to live that long. What will I do during that time? Well, it's important to understand that in Scripture, when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's not just focusing on the duration or the quantity of the life, how long it lasts. He's talking about the quality of the life. He's talking about what it is. What is this life? Is he just talking about biological, mechanical function of our bodies? No, he's talking about something bigger and better than that. He's talking about a life that really satisfies. He's talking about a life that has no regrets. He is talking about a life that really has purpose and meaning. He's talking about his life and sharing it with us. I want you to do a little thought experiment with me, okay? Just think about this for a minute. Do you think God's bored? Of course not. Are you kidding me? He's a guy, I mean, talk about excitement. He runs everything. He's never bored. Do you think he has a sense of purpose? Does God know what he's doing? Does God wake up in the morning and say, what are you going to do today? Oh, I don't know. I'll figure it out. 
No, he has a very clear sense of purpose and calling. He knows what he's going to do. He's never bored. He's never worn out. He doesn't get tired. There's constant energy and dynamic. That's God's life. Do you think God is ever anxious and afraid? Like you and I am? Or I am? He's never afraid. He has constant control and peace total perfect security. Do you think God is ever in a situation where he doesn't have a sense of pleasure and happiness and joy? No, he's always happy. Is he unhappy about things in the universe? Of course. But is there a sense of joy? Is there a sense of fulfillment? Is there a sense of contentment? Is there a sense of even happiness and pleasure? Does God have that? And the answer is yes. Everything that you and I are longing for, everything that you and I are looking for that we want for ourselves, God already has that inside himself. And when he says, I want you to have eternal life, I'm inviting you to share my life, he wants those things to be yours as well. Eternal life is not just going to heaven when we die and living in the, you know, on the golden streets through the pearly gates in the celestial city. It's bigger and better than that because it's sharing the life of God that we have today. His life today. Can you get that? Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Completely, fully satisfying life. Every longing, every ache, every need is meant in Christ. All that we are longing for, everything that we need, he has. And he offers to share that life with us. That's what eternal life is. It's sharing God's life in its fullest extent. And you say, okay, well... I sure don't feel like I'm having abundant life or eternal life right now. I'm a Christian and it doesn't feel like it. My life is hard. It's very difficult. My relationships are difficult. I'm physically ill. I'm poor. I just got a lot of things that make life pretty not enjoyable right now. But that's the whole process of God making us like his son Jesus and filling us with his Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit produce in your life and mine if we're filled with the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit? He produces some kind of fruit in our lives. Our lives are like trees and we grow fruit. And what are those things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness or meekness and self-control. All the things that we're longing for in life, the Spirit of God, God's own personal presence comes and He lives inside of our lives and He's making those things grow within us. We're experiencing eternal life. That's what all that stuff is. It's not about behavior modification and character development. It's bigger than that. It's sharing His life in a daily experience of God's own presence working in us. You see, God welcomes you. He is inviting you to experience His eternal life. That's what this is all about. That's what John 3.16 is saying. John 3.16 is a verse about God's hospitality. I know when you hear hospitality, you right away think about, you know, Martha Stewart or Chip and Joanna Gaines or somebody like that. They know, here, I make this big meal and here are all these great things and I decorate my house and I make everybody feel like they're so special when they come into my home. And that's hospitality. But hospitality is not that. It might be just mac and cheese. 
and, and a table with a glass of water. It might be whatever it is, a cup of coffee. It might be something simple, a few cookies. It might be just together. I want to welcome you and include you in my life right now. And I want to spend time with you because I love you. That's hospitality. So when you think about God's hospitality, don't push out of your mind, you know, Thanksgiving Day or that ham dinner you're preparing for Easter Sunday or, or you know, the, the dinner club that you're part of where you take turns and go around to different people's homes and share meals together like that or visit different restaurants. That, that, it's that, but more than that, it's God sharing his life with you so that you will never miss out on what's most important. You don't have to be afraid of missing it. He's giving you himself. He wants you to have that. And that's why God has loved the world, so that you would experience that. But there's a problem. The reason why we don't experience that abundant life, the reason why we don't have eternal life is because we actually deserve something different. We deserve condemnation from God. We don't deserve to be welcomed and loved and included by him. We actually deserve to be judged by him. Why? Because we're all sinners. We've done things to hurt ourselves. We've hurt other people. We've offended God. We say and do these things, act in a way that's selfish and rebellious. And because of that, we actually deserve God's condemnation. And I know that's hard to hear and we think that we don't like that, but that's what we deserve. That's reality. And sometimes the first thing that we need to do is define reality and help us see where we're really starting at. We are lost. We're separated from God. We don't have a relationship with him. We're far from him. And it's because of my sin and your sin. That's the state that we're we're in. But God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay on the outside and he doesn't want us to be outcast and he doesn't want us to be lost. He wants us to be welcomed and included that we might share his eternal life. Man, isn't that something about the love of God? Isn't that wonderful that God would love us that way even though we actually deserve his judgment? He wants to love us and he wants to welcome us and include us? How beautiful that is. We deserve his condemnation. In verse 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. You see, that's kind of explaining what he says there in verse 16. That God so loved the world, that he loved you and he loved me. He wants to include us. What did he do about it? He gave his Son. We sing about that at Christmas. We write it on our Christmas cards. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's bigger than just somebody being sent to rescue us, somebody sent on a mission. It's bigger than that. God graciously giving his own son in order to rescue people so we don't have to be condemned anymore. God gave his son. It was a gift that he gave to us. He proved how generous, how wide, how deep his love is for us, for all of us, and that he gave his son. Now, if you're reading this and you're thinking about this, you might reflect back on some stories in the Old Testament because there's a, a couple big ones that are represented in the verses that we're reading today. But when it says in John 3.16 that God loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only unique 
son. And by the way, some of us memorize this in the King James Version. Remember that, the these and thou's version of the Bible translation. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Remember that? That word begotten is a beautiful word. It just simply doesn't mean the idea that he was born, but that he has a unique privileged position. He's a unique one-of-a-kind son. He's different than any other kind of son. All of us can be called the children of God in a sense because God created us. And even those of us who become followers of Christ, we become the children of God and join his family. And that makes us special as well. But there's the unique one-of-a-kind son of God. And that's Jesus Christ. He alone is God the Son. And he came as a gift from God the Father into this world. Now, in the Old Testament, there's this story in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and it talks about an old man by the name of Abraham who had been promised that God would give him a son. And Abraham waited for years and years and years for this son to be born miraculously by God's divine intervention. And finally, when Abraham was 100 years old and his wife Sarah was 90 years old, they were able to have a son by, a, by the miraculous work of God. And the son's name was Isaac because he filled their home with laughter. And that's what his name means, laughter, Isaac. And so Isaac was this gift from God and God had promised that all the nations would flow from, they would be blessed from descendants of Isaac. Abraham had this great hope that his son would be a blessing to the whole world. But then 10, 15 years later, God and Abraham were talking, and God said to Abraham, do you really fear me? Are you really most important in my life? Am I most valuable to you, rather, Abraham? I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to give him to me as a sacrifice. It's verses like these of why a lot of atheists say that God is cruel and abusive when they hear things like that. We need to acknowledge that. But God is saying to Abraham, I want you to give your son as a sacrifice. I want you to give him to me to show me that you love me. And I don't know what Abraham thought about that. I know what I struggle with. I, I can't imagine. I have, my, I have trouble wrapping my mind around being asked to do that. And yet that's what Abraham heard. I don't know what he said to Sarah. I certainly don't know what he said to Isaac, the son, who's getting the short end of the stick in this whole story. I don't even know what he said to himself, how he was able to do this. But Abraham obeyed and showed his love to God. He packed up his clothes, his supplies. He took his son. They took some wood. They traveled three days to a mountaintop that God had called them to. And as they climbed that mountain, they got to the very top, and Abraham gathered stones and built a table out of stone, an altar. He laid the wood on top of the altar. He even tied up his son, binding Isaac, and laid him on top of the wood to burn him as a sacrifice. He pulled the knife out of its sheath, and he was ready to plunge the knife into his own son when God shouted from heaven, Stop! Now I know you fear me. You're not, you were willing to give your own son to me. You didn't withhold him from me. I know you love me more than anything else. And God provided a substitute for Isaac 
a ram caught in the bush. Hurriedly, Abraham untied Isaac. He grabbed the ram. They killed it. They sacrificed it. And God provided a substitute for Isaac. He never was going to have Isaac killed. It was just seeing if Abraham would give even the most precious thing that he had as a sacrifice to show his love for God. When God gives his son because he loves the world, he's acting like Abraham. He's sending his son to earth. He's bringing him to a place of sacrifice, Golgotha, Mount Calvary, Skull Hill outside of Jerusalem. And there, instead of a knife to the throat, there's nails in the hands and in the feet. Jesus, who has been whipped and crowned with thorns, he's hanging on a cross and he's dying there. And God is giving as a sacrifice. He's offering his own son there in our place. And you know what? God did not provide a substitute for his own son. Why? Because God's son, Jesus, was taking the condemnation, the judgment that you deserve and I deserve because of our sin. Jesus was taking that for us. God shows his love for you in that. How cruel, how awful, how violent that God would do that. But that was the price that had to be paid to show hospitality to you. It was the price that had to be paid for forgiveness, to to remove the wrath of God, the judgment that we deserve, the destruction that we deserve. You say, but I just wish God would get rid of evil in the world, but there's a problem. There's evil lurking inside every one of us. Like a virus that's hiding back in the recesses of our body, coursing through our bloodstream bacteria that's there inside a deep cut that can't be removed by antibiotic and it keeps growing back it keeps coming back that's what sin is that's what that evil nature that we have is that natural wickedness you say i don't know that i'm really that bad well did anybody ever teach you how to lie did anybody ever say this is how you cheat Do you just find yourself imagining revenge or lusting after somebody or plotting how to get revenge with somebody? Do you ever just think about that kind of stuff? It just comes. Why? Because that sinful nature is latent inside of all of us. And only when we trust in Christ, who died for us on the cross, can that sinful nature be eliminated and eradicated in our lives so that we truly can experience the eternal life that fully satisfies that God offers to us? You see, it says in verses 14 and 15, the setup for verse 16, as Moses, Jesus says, lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. To have this eternal life, to be welcomed and included, to not miss out on the life that God has for us. We can only receive it through Jesus. We can only receive it when we look to him and receive the life that he gives. And the picture that Jesus 
points us to is another story from the Old Testament. This time, many years later, the children of Israel have escaped slavery in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've wandered into the the, the Sinai Peninsula. They've gone to Mount Sinai. They've gotten the Ten Commandments. And now they're on their way. They're marching toward the Promised Land, the new homeland that God has promised them. But along the way, the people are complaining and they're arguing and they're bitter and they're angry. And God says, I've had enough of it. And he sends these poisonous snakes through the camp to judge the people. Their own bitterness, their own complaining, their own selfishness is already a toxin in their soul. They've already been bit by that. And now these snakes are coming in. And they've been biting the the women, the men, the children. And people are getting sick and people are dying. And the people realize how foolish we were. How foolish we were to complain against God when God is meeting all of our needs and providing everything that we need. And they asked Moses, what do we do? And Moses says, God, what do we do? And God gives him a very unique prescription to deal with the poison of these snakes. He says, I want you to take a big long pole and I want you to find some bronze. I want you to beat it and fashion it into a snake, a replica of a snake, like the serpents that are that are biting the people, and wrap that around the top of the pole. And then I want you to hoist that pole up in the air so that snake is above the camp so that everybody could see it like a flag, but it's a snake on a pole. And he says, anybody that's been bitten by the snake that looks at that pole, if they just would look at it, that's all they have to do. They don't have to touch it. They don't have to pray to it. They don't have to get medicine. They don't have to have anything like that. All they have to do is look at it. Look at it with faith. Look at it as, this is my only hope. If they look at that snake on the pole, they'll be healed. And Jesus says, just like Moses lifted up that pole with the snake, the Son of Man, talking about himself, he has to get lifted up on a pole, on a cross. And if you look to him, you believe in him you'll be forgiven of your sins and you'll receive eternal life and condemnation will not come to you but God's life in its fullest will be yours just look to Jesus and live Jesus who died for you who lives for you who gave himself for you that Jesus trust in him and you will live you'll have life without regrets, life that's fully satisfying, eternal life. You won't be condemned. You'll be saved. But the issue is to believe, to believe in Him. You see, God is welcoming us into His eternal life, and the price to be able to gain entrance into that eternal life, the the price of that hospitality is that God sacrificed His own Son, who may I remind you, was a willing sacrifice. Jesus wanted to do this. He chose to do this. Yes, it was hard. It was painful. Yes, he even asked, if it's possible, let this cup, let this judgment, let this death pass away. I wish I didn't have to do it. But if this is the only way, I'm willing to do it. Why? Because I love these people. I love the world. And I make it available to you, to them. You might be thinking, if Jesus loves the world, does that mean that everybody has their sins forgiven and everybody has been accepted into God's family and everybody's got the gift of eternal life? And the answer to that is no. It's only to those who believe. So what does it mean to believe? What is that? To believe simply means to trust Him. To entrust your life to His care. 
It's to say, I recognize that what you were doing on that cross, Jesus, when you were dying there, you were doing it for me, and that's enough for me to be forgiven. That's enough for me to be accepted by God. It's enough for me for my life to be changed and for me to experience eternal life. It's enough. I rely completely upon you so that I might experience your life to the fullest. That's what belief is. It's more than just knowing about something or even agreeing that it's true. It's coming to the place where I say, you know what? I'm willing to rely on you. I'm willing to depend on you, Jesus, to take away the condemnation I deserve and to give me the eternal life that I don't deserve but I desperately need. I don't want to miss out. Please fill me with your life because I'm trusting in you and believing in you. Years and years ago, there was a preacher who was speaking at a church service, and he was actually talking about John 3.16 and trying to encourage. He was urging the people to put their trust in Christ and begin following him so they could experience eternal life. But what was interesting is when the service was over and people had been praying and doing different things, a woman shyly came up to the pastor and began asking some very serious questions. And, and she was basically asking, I, I don't really understand how Jesus dying, how that works for me. How that gives me eternal life. I don't, I don't really understand that. Maybe you're struggling with understanding that today. And the pastor very wisely just brought her back to the scripture that they were talking about. And, and he said, so, so what does John 3.16 say? And the woman could memorize it. She'd been going to church all her life. She was a religious person. And she began to recite it from memory. And she said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And some of you are chuckling because you realize the, the lady made a big mistake. His only forgotten son. And you know what, that pastor was very gentle and very kind because he didn't rebuke her and say, nope, you said it wrong. No, he didn't say that. He said, do you know why God's son was forgotten? He just played off that. Do you know why God's son was forgotten? Why he was rejected on the cross? Why he suffered all that on the cross? Why God didn't send a substitute for Jesus on the cross and rescue Jesus from that death? Do you know why Jesus was forgotten? And she just said, I don't know, why? So that God would never forget you. So that you would never be forgotten. We would say, so that you would never miss out. So that eternal life would be yours always. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can be sure of it. You see, God welcomes everyone. He wants everyone to experience his eternal life. He's made it available. He's paid the highest price that it could be extended to you. What will you do with it? Will you receive the Son of God who was forgotten for you? Will you receive the Son of God? Will you trust in him who was condemned for you? Who died for you? Will you trust in him? Or will you forget about him? You might say, I don't need him. You might say, I'm okay without him. Thank you, but I'm okay. You might be saying that or thinking that. 
You might be trying to stuff things into that hole, relationships, possessions, experiences, pleasure, into that emptiness, that stuff that's, that hole that we have, that gap in our life. You might be stuffing all kinds of things into it. And you're still hungry and you're still thirsty and you're still without joy and you're still lonely. But if you trust in Christ, he will fill up that hole with himself and you'll never miss out. And God is inviting you today to trust in him. Will you pray with me, please? And then we'll share the Lord's table. All right. Father in heaven, I want to say thank you so much for this opportunity to be with these folks this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that even though this is a very familiar passage that we've read many times and thought about on many occasions, and can recite even from memory, I thank you that you have made it clear that eternal life, life that really satisfies, is only available when we trust in Christ. Thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for wanting to include us. Help us to receive your invitation and make it our very own by trusting in you. And while we're praying here, my friends, we just keep our heads bowed. And I just want to invite you to do some private, personal praying if you've not done so yet. Maybe you've never trusted in Christ. Maybe you're searching for Maybe you're finally able to identify that that gnawing thing in the back of your heart in the back of your soul, maybe even the back of your mind, that little itch that you have. What is, my life is incomplete. There's got to be more. That more is Jesus and God's eternal life. Would you be willing to tell him today if you've never done so, Jesus, I'm trusting you. I'm asking you to fill up my life with your life. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. And right now I'm trusting you to take away the sin and condemnation I deserve and bring the eternal life that I need. Bring that, please. Help me now live my life to say thank you for the life that you've given me. I trust you. If you've prayed that today, I want to encourage you that after the service is over, I'll be up front here and you're, I welcome you to come and tell me because I'd like to encourage you, help you in your new relationship with Jesus. Lord, I ask you to bless the folks that are here today. Thank you for each one. In all of this, thank you for reminding us of your great love in Christ who took our condemnation who was lifted up on the cross, rejected by man, judged by you. He did that because he loved us so we could experience eternal life. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.